Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready. But brace yourself, they're all bad martinis today, and uh, they're not even close. There's no, there's no question that these are all bad martinis. So, Jim, to help get us ready for bad news, let's talk about a little bit of good news, and that's the fact that, uh, this is not a martini, that this is the most hopeful day of the year for our football teams, and not even for the Bears. They don't even get to draft until tomorrow unless they pull off a trade because of the uh, pick they traded away last year to be able to draft Justin Fields. But, uh, you know, for teams that, let's just say, are challenged in making the playoffs, like ours, it's free agency and it's uh, the NFL draft. It's kind of like the first day of spring training. There's always hope, and then the fall rolls around. But for now, there's hope. Greg, a couple of years ago, some comedian characterized the, you know, the NFL draft as Oscars for straight men. Um, Now, if you're a straight man, you can enjoy the Oscars. And if you're not a straight man, you can enjoy the NFL draft. It's a joke. Don't get so upset. You know, there's never any team who says, yeah, we really reached for that guy. Uh, We have real concerns about his attitude. The moment we give this kid a huge contract, he's going to blow up his life, buy a sports car, probably injure himself. And we probably just set the franchise back to it. Everybody's convinced this was the guy we wanted. We're really glad he dropped to us, et cetera, et cetera. And so, as you said, hope springs eternal. Everybody feels good. Everybody feels like they uh, they didn't overpay in any trade. They didn't reach. This is the guy. Everything's fine. And you get to see these, you know, as I said, kids or young men who, uh, whatever else, generally they've been working very, very hard from at least their teen years, if not before, Someone told them, hey, you might have enough potential to go all the way to the professionals. And this is the reward for all of that hard work. And we can argue about whether college athletes should be paid. And we can argue about whether um, this is a system that is somewhat exploitative of young men or whether these young men throw away the opportunity to get a good education in far too many cases. Just for once, for one day, every one of these guys gets to say, hey, you know what? Your dream came true. You worked hard and it happened. And now... Thanks to a complicated formula, depending on what position you are and where you get drafted, you're going to get minimum like a million a year. Probably you're going to, you know, a couple million a year and it's going to ratchet up for the first four or five years of your career. Even if you get an ACL, you've got that you know tear early on and you're never quite the same. You've got that signing bonus. You should have some good chance of having a good, comfortable, ha- happy life from here on out. Obviously, it doesn't work out the way for all these guys. But yes, this is one of the reasons it's one of those w- rare sporting events with enormous drama. But at least as far as we can tell, no immediate losers. <laughs> Get ready for the phrase "tremendous upside" over the next uh, over the next few days. Great motor, as uh, <laughs> Mel Kiper is going to use the word "great motor" uh, three hundred sixty-four times. He uses the term "great motor" more than the guys who are covering NASCAR. <laughs> Yes, that's one of the great traditions of the draft, as well as Jets fans booing whoever you pick. Uh, yeah, there's only a, like, you know, there are like some really prominent cases over time, and generally they turned out to be pretty good. I think you can make a case that Ken O'Brien would be remembered as a great quarterback if he hadn't been drafted in the same class as Jim Kelly, John Elway, and Dan Marino. Uh, and he was better than Tony Eason and Todd Blackledge. Yes, dear listeners, these are the sorts of facts rattling around in my brain instead of actually useful information. Oh, yeah, the 83 draft. That's a legendary draft. There's a great 30 for 30 on that. But uh, absolutely, yeah, Ken O'Brien was not a bust. Ken O'Brien just 
wasn't quite at the elite level as the others. Um, Six and three head to head against Dan Marino. Yeah, they made the playoffs in 85, 86, maybe even a little bit later in the 80s. I don't know. But, 90, uh, think, yeah, yeah, yeah they, 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 were, they were competitive back then. Um, anyway, uh, let's talk about our actual bad martinis now. I hope you ex- enjoyed the extended uh, nice prelude there on the draft. But uh, first up, the economy. Uh, back in the fourth quarter of last year, the economy grew 6.9%, and the Biden administration claimed that this was the greatest economic recovery in history. No one's ever added jobs in their first year like him. The conditions are a little bit unique when you're recovering from a massive pandemic where so many jobs were lost, but uh, technically I guess he can say that. But now the economy is not growing. Well, it's growing, but it's in the wrong direction. Real gross domestic product decreased at an annual rate of 1.4% in the first quarter of 2022, according to the advance estimate released by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Uh, The GDP estimate released today is based on source data that are incomplete or subject to further revision by the source agency. There will be a revised number on May 26th. So it could be up. It's possible it could tick barely into positive territory. But, Jim, this is not what uh, a lot of people were expecting, certainly not what the Biden administration was hoping for. And it's certainly not uh, evidence that that helps their narrative at all. Our economy is struggling despite some of the positive factors because of the rebounding from the pandemic. Inflation is terrible. Job creation is pretty good right now. But now we have negative economic growth. And regardless of why, uh, and we can dig into that, uh, this is this is there's no way to spin out of this. Yeah. And but some folks who I respect a great deal, like Ed Morrissey and uh, Scott Linacombe, are saying, well, this really may reflect more about how we're measuring the condition of the economy than the actual state of the economy. Uh, Ed asked if it really is as bad as it looks and point out that this, you know, uh, consumer spending is up, business investment is up, although it's down a bit from the previous quarters. And so this doesn't have the hallmarks of a coming stagnation. And yes, it's great that unemployment is low. Uh, wages have been increasing, but it's worth noting they have not been increasing at the pace of inflation. So your actual purchasing power, your real wages are not going particularly well. I feel a little vindicated this morning, not that I take any you know pleasure in the fact the economy being bad, but last fall, it was October, National Review did an event down in Dallas and Kevin Hassett, who'd been the former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Trump, offered this, he's usually the most cheerful guy in the world, and he offered this really dark you know, uh, prediction that, yeah, we're headed for a recession, and it's, you know, I think his sense was it was going to be really bad. And he just kind of walked through a whole bunch of factors, um, most notably inflation and the challenges on that, but he walked through the supply chain uh, issues and just kind of a general sense that he never, you know, all of this was going to add up to the gross domestic product getting smaller, and we're going to have it for at least two. Uh, he, he foresaw at least two quarters, and that would make a recession. Recessions are traditionally when the GDP shrinks for two straight. Now, about a month or so after that, the quarterly GDP number came out, and it was six point nine, a really, really good number. So you're like, whoa, wait, oh my goodness, that's that's fantastic. Wow, you know. And more than a few people dunked on what I'd written and said, ah, oh, you know, well, was that recession coming? Ha, ha, ha. Well, here we are three months later, and we actually have one quarter of negative growth. And now the question is, how's it going to be next time? Now, there are a bunch of economists who say, OK, it probably won't be that way. But a whole bunch of these probably, you know, it's not like the uh, inflation is gone. Inflation clearly is still a uh, serious problem. Um, supply chain issues are, you, know, you don't see nearly as many empty shelves, but obviously there are still long backlogs at the ports, still have a labor shortage. I don't know about you, uh, but I keep seeing, you know, please 
Uh, please be patient. We're short staff uh, signs everywhere. There's still a help wanted sign in almost every business. Um, and so now, you know, a bunch of these problems have not worked themselves out. And so if we lost, you know, a percentage point or two this quarter, it doesn't seem unthinkable to me that we'll lose a percentage point or two next quarter. It doesn't feel like we're in a dramatically different state of the economy than we were then. You know, by the way, you know, we've got the the additional curveball of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is increasing pressure on oil prices. Um, the oil price crisis you know, began well before the Russian invasion, but clearly the invasion isn't helping any. Uh, and as I roast in the corner, you know, most places in the country, gas is still more than $4 a gallon. And God help you if you're in California, it's still in that high $5, $6 per gallon range. I think as long as that's happening, it's going to be really tough to see any genuine economic growth. I think that's going to just be eating up so many resources that are you're going towards fuel of transporting stuff around and transporting people that there won't be a lot of discretionary money elsewhere. And all of this makes business costs go up, which makes it tougher to have business investments, opening up new factories, developing new products, et cetera, et cetera. So you add all of that up. It points to a, a shaky at best you know, out, uh, outlook for the rest of the year. I suppose if you see economic bad news as good news, because it'll make probably will, it'll be worse for the incumbent party and more likely to elect Republicans, I guess you could say good. But man, I don't think there's any way you can say, you know, a negative quarter for U.S. growth isn't bad news. And that's what makes it the bad martini. Well, one of the other things we had in the mix today didn't make the the three worst martinis of the day, which tells you how bad the lineup was. The Democrats have an answer to this, Jim. They want to raise taxes. So all that uh, extra spending that you don't have, it's going to be even less now because uh, they want to they want to raise taxes and they, they're going to try to do it through reconciliation. So that's the Democratic answer uh, to inflation. I don't think people are going to be too excited about that. I also well, don't hey, think Greg, it's going to happen. We can forgive all the student loan debt and then throw another couple trillion into the economy. That'll help inflation. <laughs> yeah. Or we can just get helicopters and throw money out and hope that to see that see how that works. So. <laughs> Well, that happened in Gotham, and that didn't work out too well, uh, as I recall. Jack Nicholson did that one. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, the Democrats are putting on a clinic of tell me you don't understand economics without telling me you don't understand economics. They're doing it in different areas and different issues on a daily basis. So unbelievable. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, one more piece of good news today, and that's the phenomenal deal you can still get. And during these inflationary times, you want good deals on the six-piece MyPillow towel set. Love the towels every morning. Uh, big, soft, fluffy, gets you dry super quick. Love the hand towels, love the washcloth. And the deal is still there. Regularly $109.99, now just a fraction of that. You can get it all for $39.99 a set. Listeners, if you've been listening regularly, I hope you feel like you know a little bit more about the economy and geography. Most notably, you probably know that the MyPillow six-piece towel set is made from cotton grown right here in the United States. Now, other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well, or they absorb, but they don't feel good on your skin. They've got that lotion-y feel. Every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Each set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today 
at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. Once again, MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, it's been a big week in terms of the issue of free speech. Uh, Elon Musk buying Twitter still needs to be finalized and everything, but he's been on Twitter on his own account quite actively talking about what it's going to look like. He wants life for the the middle 80%. Uh, he says the, the, the 10% on the far right and far left fringes might not love it so much, but his job is to maximize enjoyment of the site for the 80% in between the extremes. He says free speech means speech that's legal anywhere else in this country. And so he wants a neutral playing field, which has the left tearing their hair out. Coincidentally, maybe, maybe not. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security is also uh, taking a look at what's being said out there. And let's just say their approach is a little less encouraging than Elon Musk's. Uh, yesterday, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was testifying up on Capitol Hill. And he took a question about what the Department of Homeland Security is doing about disinformation aimed at people of color online. And so in addition to some other efforts, he said this. Uh, our undersecretary uh, for policy, Rob Silvers, is co-chair uh, with our principal deputy general counsel, Jennifer Daskal, in um, leading a just recently constituted uh, misinformation, disinformation governance board. So we're bringing, uh, the goal is to bring the resources of the department together to address this threat. Well, in addition to the creation of that, there's another person who's going to be the disinformation czar, and that person is Nina Jankowicz, who went on a long Twitter thread uh, back during the later stages of the 2020 campaign, explaining in tweet after tweet how the Hunter Biden laptop was not a real story and how it was Russian disinformation. So with people like that running the show, Jim, I'm sure it will be really neutral, and it won't be just about making sure the Democratic talking points uh, get out there uh, and conservative ones don't. As we were uh, talking about this, Jim says, I have a clip. This reminds me of the Obama era where they wanted to flag false attacks against Barack Obama. And it was called Attack Watch. And the folks over at The Blaze came up with uh, this promo for AttackWatch.com. Attack Watch. The newest campaign website to expose the right-wing lies about President Obama. Get the facts. Fight the smears. Attack Watch.com is where you can report attacks on President Obama. If you heard an ad on the radio or television. If you saw a suspicious website. If you heard a friend spreading rumors. Let us know. Attack Watch. So that's a parody. But Jim, basically the left's view is we can't have criticism of us anymore. Yeah, this there is this instru- you know recurring instinctive reflex amongst democratic presidencies that you know there are people saying on the internet saying things that they don't like and you know look could some of them be false absolutely and that's going to shock you but since the never mind the internet since there have been people <laughs> since humans developed the form of speech people have there are a bunch of people out there who like to bs stuff and what's more the, the debate in the public square whether you do you know agree with the contention that twitter represents it or not um, you have a lot of people who kind of sort of half remember stuff that they read and they exaggerate or they say something is wrong. And then there are some people who are no, you know, no conscious, no problem. They'll just lie. That's fine. They, they exist. I don't think they're a particularly big or vocal or influential chunk of our 
uh, of our public discourse. But I, you know, obviously, most people, when they hear criticism of you or the side you like, you want to say, oh, that's not true. For example, you know, just uh, we were talking about gas prices uh, in, that, in that last martini. Um, I put in a corner post on this and somebody uh, on the Internet looked at me and said, ha, where is this mythical station where gas is nearly six dollars a gallon? Because um, he was very upset by you know, the fact that the photo that I'd used uh, had pictures of, you know, Chevron station gas prices, 605, 624, 637. Now, Greg, as you know, looking for a photo caption is really hard. <laughs> um, because you have to lower your eyes just like, like an inch or two. And say, and sometimes, I'll, granted, the font can be small, but if you looked at it, you'd say gasoline prices at a Chevron station in Garden Grove, California, March 29th, 2022. California always has the highest gas prices, partially because of taxes and partially because of other factors. Um, and certain parts of California are going to be way ahead of the national average. Now, in the corner post, laid out the national average. I laid out that California was higher. And I put up a link to the AAA website where you can check the average by state. But this guy's like, ha, where is this mythical gas? Garden Grove, California, sir. You know. Now, is that misinformation or is this just a guy being a schmuck? It's just a guy being a schmuck. It does not require this. But when I heard this, Greg, my first thought was, oh, okay. Um, look, we always talk about how the, the, the Biden administration doesn't really seem to know what it's doing. And uh, Biden will go out and say something, and the next day his you know, staff rushes out. And says, so when I hear that the Department of Homeland Security is going to create a misinformation, disinformation governance board, my thought, Greg, was that certain government officials were putting out misinformation, some other officials were putting out disinformation, and this governing <laughs> board is going to coordinate it, try to make it just more consistent to get all of the misinformation, disinformation efforts put out by the Biden administration all on the same page. But apparently, no, it's not going to be that at all. I guess tongue in cheek for that entire section there. Um, and it does, it is really unnerving that she had gone to bat insisting, ah, there's nothing to this Biden, uh, uh, this, this Biden laptop. Something interesting happened with the Russiagate scenario. And, you know, I went over and actually, you know, not in addition to writing about the uh, uh, Russian efforts in the 2016 campaign, I actually had a chance to go over to Austria, do a couple of presentations on it. And look, was it good? No, we don't want Russian government or their entities acting on their behalf, putting stuff on our social media. But there's really very little evidence that it changed any votes. And in fact, if Russia was sending anti-Hillary stuff to self-identified, very conservative users of Facebook, it's not particularly likely there are a lot of Hillary votes in that demographic to begin with. But this kind of made the left believe that anti-democratic party, anti-left messages from the right aren't just wrong or debatable or something like they want to dispute, they're foreign disinformation. Yeah. Now some schmuck going on lying, well, you know, it's, it's a free country. You're allowed to, you know, you're allowed to lie. Uh, there's not legal penalties for lying. The government doesn't, we don't necessarily want the government kicking down your door with a SWAT team because you told something, you, you know, said something politically that wasn't true. But maybe we do worry about this if it's a foreign government's propaganda effort. And this is why they, they're just hanging their hat on this. Like, ah, it's not just people are saying things about us we don't like, it's disinformation. And we in the government have a responsibility to fight that disinformation. That's what the First Amendment is all about. The government should be telling you what you can and can't say. Of course, that's exactly opposite of what the First Amendment says. So it's, you know, on the one hand, it's disturbing. I have a hard time. The, the mockery of attack watch kind of defanged it in a lot of ways. And I think most people saw it as kind of silly when the administration was, you know, had other really much bigger problems to worry about. Um, I'd like to think that's going to how this is going to shake out this way. But it's still not good for the Department of Homeland Security to start thinking like, well, we have a uh, we have we have a mission 
And that mission is to make sure people aren't saying things we don't like on the Internet. No, it's exactly the opposite of what the framers found, uh, intended in the in the First Amendment to the Constitution. But uh, they, you, know, you can see the problem the left has. They know they've got uh, an advantage in, in messaging, and that's why they're pulling their hair out over Elon Musk, even though he's explicitly saying, I'm not favoring one side or the other. I just want it to be a neutral playing field where everybody can engage in the debates. And they can't handle that. They can't handle a level playing field which I guess is a concession in some way, that they know they're not as strong as the right on ideas. Um, they're sometimes better in messaging. They're bad ideas than we are. But I think they feel like they really can't compete on a level playing field, which uh, should encourage us. But their response to it is chilling. Yeah, I, I think also there's this, you know, because of the losses they've suffered 2016, uh, 2020, the, you know, the uh, down ticket races not going the way they expected, um, you know, maybe even 2021, I think there's a genuine, like, oh my God, what if people don't like what we have to offer? What do we do? <laughs> I think they really, they're, they're, they're so shocked, not just to how unpopular their agenda is uh, amongst demographics they expected to lose, work, working class whites, et cetera. You notice they're losing ground amongst Latinos, amongst Asian Americans, amongst African Americans, groups like that. I think that is what's really gripping with that fear of like, oh God, we can't let the other side keep making these arguments because then we keep losing. And, you know, or, alternatively, Dear Democrats, you could try coming up with better arguments. I was just going to say. But that takes effort. <laughs> they don't like your ideas. Come up with better ideas. Uh, it's not that hard. But instead, no, we're going to probably uh, try to stifle people's free speech. So I love how Mayorkas just kind of slipped that in there. Oh, yeah, we're doing this, too. But uh, it's out there now, and hopefully it doesn't last long. All right, Jim, let's move on to our third bad martini now. And we're in the, the second wave, I guess you could say, of the Russia-Ukraine war. The first wave did not go according to plan, as far as we can tell, uh, for the Russians. Uh, the second wave is a bit more intense. Um, but the way that folks are talking in Russia on state-controlled media, which is a significant factor in this, uh, is very, very disturbing. Uh, Russian television is openly talking about nuclear warfare. You've got commentators on there saying there's only two ways this is going to end. Either Ukraine wins or we have World War III. And other people saying, I'm increasingly comfortable with the idea of having to use nuclear weapons because Russia is the one looking for peace, justice, and security in the region. So, I mean, the propaganda is running wild. Uh, but the fact that they're throwing that kind of uh, rhetoric out there and those ideas out there suggests that the regime is at least okay with them talking about it and uh, you have to wonder why that is and so Jim you've got other people in the United States uh, paying close attention to this and seeing the ratcheting up of the rhetoric and they don't see anything good happening in the near future there yeah I was going to say we're used to looking at Russian state media and their equivalent of their equivalent of CNN their equivalent of, of uh, Fox News they're, they're big cable talk, you know talking head type shows and they have their own equivalents of your Tucker Carlson's, your uh, Don Lemon's, you know, whoever you think of as being like your your standard primetime uh, talking head slash bloviator. Uh, they've got them. And obviously they're you know largely hewing to the Putin's, you know, pr the preferred regime storyline or narrative. But so obviously that can tell you at least at minimum what the state wants people to think. Now, something interesting has changed probably right around the time uh, the Russian flagship went down in the Black Sea, is that the tone changed. 
it, I guess somewhere around that second month, it became impossible to continue to maintain the facade that everything was going fine, that this was not a war, it was merely a special military operation, and that Kiev would be seized and the Ukrainians would surrender any day now. Um, they expected this to be done in a couple of days, and it wasn't getting done in a couple of days. In fact, it had stretched on for two months. So all of a sudden, the tone got angrier. Uh, it got more frightening, got more frightened and frightening. Um, and apparently, over the last couple of days, there's just been this open speculation of like, yeah, we're going to have to go nuclear at some point. Uh, the other truly, you know, kind of the bizarre, fra- you know, uh, terminology you're seeing is that um, the assertion that NATO is a collective Hitler. Uh, It's bad enough that, you know, the Jewish uh, uh, Ukrainian leader Zelensky is a Nazi. Now, apparently we're all Nazis, too. Um, We think we joke about the left seeing everybody they disagree with as Nazis. But apparently in the eyes of Russian state media, yes, everyone we disagree with is Nazis. And they have also talked about the uh, general sense that they are fighting NATO. Now, this one. You could look at how much the NATO countries are giving arms to Ukraine. You could look at the intelligence sharing that the U.S. is doing. NBC News had a report that basically U.S. intelligence helped the Ukrainians shoot down several Russian jets. There may be on more solid ground. That's maybe not as much nonsensical propagandistic. But then I kind of wonder if there's a less humiliation. If if we're going to lose, you lose to NATO. Well, okay, you look at NATO, probably collectively the most powerful military force on the planet. If you're just losing to the Ukrainians, that's really humiliating. That's really a sign in which you are no longer a superpower. Um, but if you know, there's only so much you can say, we are at war with NATO until Russian policy starts to act like they are at war with NATO. And then I think you can, you know, listeners can grasp the unnerving implications of that. Um, this, again, this could be something I just have this sense that we are in this bizarre vice-like situation in a we on the one hand we want the ukrainians to do well we know the russians have committed unspeakable brutality and crimes and war war crimes like buka um but at the same time the worse this gets for russia the more desperate putin gets and the more likely it becomes that he does something i don't know if that means chemical weapons i don't know if that means he sets off a nuke as a demonstration on some ukrainian mountaintop or something or over the black sea uh, conceivably, he could nuke a, uh, a Ukrainian city. God, I hope he doesn't do that. You know, I think we, right now we're kind of wondering what does he do? And oh, by the way, we're getting closer and closer to that May 9th, you know, victory day deadline. Maybe, you know, maybe he does something right before then, or maybe he's already made his peace with the idea that he's not going to have a glorious victory to celebrate on May 9th. So we don't really know what to figure out. And look, it's possible this is just, you know, Russian state media propaganda blowing off steam. They know it's getting badly, so they're airing out their fantasies of vengeance and things like that. But all in all, this is getting kind of unnerving and disturbing and uh, something we should be watching closely in the days and weeks to come. Yeah, Mike Mazar of the Rand Corporation uh, with a long Twitter thread uh, just a couple of days ago. You mentioned May 9th and what they refer to as Victory Day, marking the end of World War II. Uh, He says people he follows and talks with worry that Victory Day will be, quote, used as a fulcrum to mobilize a much larger force. And they predict that Moscow will use May 9th as the day on which the special military operation is officially framed as a war. And Putin demands national mobilization for a longer conflict. We don't know. That's... Not official, of course, but, uh, you know, we're only 11 days away from that. So we'll find out quite soon uh, what Putin has in mind for that specific day or, or any other thing uh, on his agenda in the near future. But uh, chilling, chilling, to say the least. So, Jim, glad we got to joke about the draft at the beginning because the rest of it was pretty darn depressing. 
It would be just our luck to have a really phenomenal draft and then nuclear war breaks out. <laughs> that was uh, the worst part of nuclear war, Greg. Well, that and all the dying. This was finally going to be the year, and now we've got nuclear holocaust. Jim, always putting in perspective. That's why we appreciate you so much. Uh, Jim Carrey of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please continue giving us your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We appreciate those greatly. Uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. Hi everyone, Steve Hilton here. You may have seen my show, The Next Revolution, on Fox News, but did you know about my podcast, California Rebel Base? I live in California. I suffer, along with millions of people, the consequences of the left-wing madness that we get shoved down our throats all the time by the Democrats who've been in charge here in what is pretty much a one-party state. Well, I've started this show, California Rebel Base, to fight back, to be a platform for all the rebels who are trying to change things and turn things around. And the reason it matters to everyone, wherever you live, is because as we know, The left-wing madness that starts in California does not end in California. It can infect the whole country. So we need to fight back. To help us do that, make sure you join us at California Rebel Base. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to have you part of this movement.